0: This is week nine in our series on the book of James. It's our last message on chapter one, which is, as I shared with you, was this introductory type of cover page for the whole book where James goes through and he gives a quick summary of all the things he's gonna teach us in chapters two through five. And this is the last introductory Message in the book of James. And this week, the title I've given to this sermon is called Fake Spirituality. Have you, have you ever heard someone say, I'm not religious, I, but I am very spiritual? What does being spiritual even mean? And what makes someone spiritual? I guess it's because they say they're spiritual. That's really all you need to do to be spiritual is to say it. For many, that's the extent of religion or spirituality. It's what they say or what we say. So I came up with a list of modern spiritual phrases people use, and I'm going to provide for you my own take on what they really mean. (laughs) Follow your heart. I don't want the responsibility of giving you any real advice. Just do what you think is best. That's what that really means. Find your inner peace. You need to calm down. You're being too loud. Yes, that was a Taylor Swift reference. You noticed that. Or somebody just says prayers. That's a substitute for actually physically coming alongside someone. I don't want to do that, so I'm just going to pretend like I'm praying for you. Not always, but a lot of times. Adjust your chakra. I don't know about you, but I only like fried chakra. I don't really think that... Oh, wait a minute. That's something different. Here's another one. Everything happens for a reason. Here's what that really means. Man, that really stinks what happened, but I'm sure you'll figure it out. Good luck. (laughs) Sending positive vibes. You ever seen that one? This one's a little more complicated. It's a more more complex. Man, I really hope it all works out, but I'm keeping my distance. (laughs) I'm super busy with my own life anyway. Besides... I don't really have any answers or solutions to the problems you're facing. These are popular spiritual phrases, and they're nice enough, but frankly, I think we all can agree they're kind of powerless when it comes to changing or transforming lives. I see these personally as worthless throwaway lines. They're actually kind of selfish. They don't require you to take any real spiritual action. You can say stuff like this to people without even doing anything for them. They aren't spiritual, they they just sound spiritual. They provide false hope to the hearer, and the one saying them can feel better about their actual spiritual condition than it really is. They don't provide lasting transformation, they don't change sinful hearts, and they certainly can't come even close to providing eternal life. They are just a way for people to say they like spiritual things, just not the kind of spirituality that Jesus teaches. You see the difference? So how can we know if we are truly spiritual? How can we make sure that we aren't victims of fake spirituality or religion in our own lives? This is James chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, the last two verses in chapter 1. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows while they are suffering in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Orphans and widows. These two verses draw from what Jesus taught about spiritual hypocrisy in the Sermon on the Mount, particularly in Matthew 6, almost the whole chapter. What Jesus was teaching was that his followers needed to do more than just sound like spiritual people because words are cheap. In fact, there was a time that Jesus confronted some very spiritual people that provides a great historic example of this particular lesson. It's in Mark chapter 12, verse 38 to 40. Look at this. This is what Jesus said. Beware of the scribes or the lawyers, the same group. They're lawyers. Scribes or lawyers. If you're a lawyer here, it's not about you. Well, maybe it is, but I don't mean it to be. (laughs) Beware of the scribes or lawyers who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplace. And they have the best seats in the synagogue and places of honor at feasts. Who devour widows' houses, but for show they make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. So, widows and orphans often became, in, in first century Roman and Jewish culture for that matter, the most desperate and marginalized people in society. Society offered them no real relief before the church was on the scene. Jesus was condemning those who considered themselves to be spiritual despite how they exploited these widows and their orphans. Just like James says an unbridled tongue can deceive us, these scribes had been deceived by their own words. Let me explain. Their own words, their own tongues, their own mouths had deceived themselves into thinking they were righteous before God. Nobody could pray like they could on the surface they were they were very religious but their religion as jesus says was worthless my observation is this that the showier and the glitzier we become on the outside the more likely things are worthless on the inside if anyone should have cared for these widows and orphans it should have been them they were rich they also knew the scriptures better than anyone In fact, this command to stand up for the oppressed, like widows and orphans and the marginalized, is all throughout the law and the Old Testament. Here's an example in Psalm 82. Go to this one. Give justice to the weak and the orphan. Stand up for the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the poor and helpless. Deliver them from the grasp of evil people. Instead of helping the widows, they exploited them. And here's how they did it. When, our, when their husband would die, they would go up to the widow and with her children and say, listen, we're going to offer you legal protection for your children, for your estate. From older widows to younger, naive widows, even widows of their own deceased colleague lawyer scribes, here's what would happen. They would begin to exploit them. They would charge these outrageous legal fees. They even moved into the widow's houses, ate all their food until all her resources were gone. And after the money was gone, they used the law that they were experts in to confiscate the widow's houses and their possessions to pay off the legal fees. And if they hadn't paid them off enough with all that, if the widow tried to eke out a living in the marketplace, they would take a big portion of those earnings, too, until the legal fees were paid off. And, of course, they never were. Even worse than that, the widow's children get nothing. And they are also out on the street. They become just like orphans. Everyone knew how this widow protection racket worked and how it was perpetrated by very spiritual people. These widows and orphans had no protectors, no champions, no advocates to look out for them. They were all alone. All of this was perpetrated by very spiritual, religious scoundrels. But man, at least these guys could really pray in public. They had that going for them. We have some interesting theology here on this passage. I'm calling this section self-deception. So James is providing another very critical test of our ropes of faith. And that test is this, how to identify if we are victims of self-deception and religious or spiritual hypocrisy. James reveals three steps in the progression of our spiritual self-deception that we must be constantly as a church and as individuals on the lookout for. This progression reveals the difference between our fake spirituality or our hypocrisy and what James calls true religion. First of all, the first step in the process is you become deceived by your words. This, this unbridled tongue he talks about, he says, if your tongue is unbridled, it's very different from the filthy overflow of anger and gossip or slander that we talked about last week. It's different from that. This unbridled tongue that he's talking about is when you've let your mouth take charge of your spirituality. Do you follow me? When your religion just becomes your words. See, your mouth is the quickest path. To hypocrisy and deception. Just learn the lingo, polish your delivery, and bam. This unbridled tongue, when you allow it to take over your spirituality, will deceive you into thinking that you're spiritual or religious when you really aren't. The tongue can easily sound spiritual, and before you know it, you've deceived yourself. You lead yourself into a false sense of religion or spirituality, which sadly can be easily, get this now, that false sense of spirituality can be easily reinforced by others who are mesmerized by the external show that your tongue can put on. The lawyer scribes are very good at this. Their unbridled tongues had convinced themselves and others that they were spiritual. But their religious words were nothing more than a mask, a cover for their selfish, exploitative, immoral character. What about you? Is it possible you are being deceived by your own spiritual religious words? The next step in the progression is you become deceived by your actions, So you know you have been deceived by your spiritual words when your actions don't line up with what Jesus commands. Eloquent spiritual words about Jesus mean nothing if your life, as James says in this passage, is soiled by a love for the unclean things in this world. When your actions don't align with what Jesus commands, it signals, here's what it signals, when your actions don't align with what Jesus commands, what it really signals is you don't really believe the words that you say or the words that you pray. Our spiritual words, in fact, are powerless to keep us from being soiled by the world. And our actions will prove it. And here's the other thing that happens. You begin to be able to rationalize just about any kind of behavior. In fact, your fake spirituality does a good job of making you feel entitled to that type of behavior. I'm sure the lawyer scribes didn't see anything evil or immoral about how they were treating the widows and orphans. They probably thought, oh, this is fine. See, this is a warning sign that you haven't received with humility the implanted word of God. Which can save your souls. But a true follower of Jesus, one who has received that implanted word of God that we learned about a couple of weeks ago, a true follower of Jesus who has received with humility the implanted word of God won't be deceived by their actions. True spirituality and true religion, which comes from that implanted word, knows what obedience and disobedience look like. What about you? Is there, is there disobedience in your life providing evidence you've been deceived by your own actions? The third step in the progression of self-deception is you become deceived by religion. Where spiritual, religious words coexist with disobedient, immoral, or unethical, or heartless behavior, that is a false religion. You know, we mostly think of false religion as any religion that doesn't preach the gospel, right? And yes, those are false religions. But James was revealing another kind of false religion that is far more dangerous, far more deceptive, and frankly, far more deadly than any other. It's a lethal false religion that deceives you into thinking that you are a follower of Jesus when you really aren't. Remember, Lord, haven't we done many great things in your name? And what did Jesus say to them? Depart from me, I never knew you. This is an important test of your ropes of faith. Church, Spiritual religious words that lead to a life of, listen, consistent disobedience. Those are ingredients for this false religion, this false spirituality that has become polluted by the world. It is not real spirituality. It is, in fact, fake. And this progression of spiritual religious self-deception. Here's the scary part about it. Are you ready? This spiritual self-deception can go on for years This is why James is pointing it out. This kind of false religion is powerless to transform you. It deceives you. It can't save you. It condemns you. What about you? Are you deceived by your own false religion or spirituality? And how can we make sure that you're not? How can we make sure that your religion is real? My personal section, I want to talk about true religion. This was the sermon preview for this week. Have your religious words convinced you that your religion is real, even though your actions suggest it's fake? First John, chapter three, verse 17 and 18. Look at this passage with me. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So standing up for the marginalized, like widows and and orphans, has always been a part of what Jesus has commanded his church to do. And Jesus makes it clear, if our religion fails in its consistent obedience to this command, then our religion is worthless. But as you know, we've been looking at our ropes of faith throughout this whole series, right? Our ropes of faith are unreliable if this happens. And when we need these ropes the most, they will fail us if our religion is false. But you understand that there is actually a far deeper truth connected to this than just care for the vulnerable among us. It goes beyond widows or orphans. It's a warning about being deceived by spiritual words that don't come with obedience. Words and actions that have been soiled by the world. We can't just sound faithful. We have to be faithful. It's another very practical, critical test of your ropes of faith. If all you do is talk about Jesus but never get in the trenches with the hurting, you are just like the hypocritical lawyer scribes. We have been deceived into thinking we have faith. We have let our unbridled tongue turn us into hypocrites. Okay, Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. Do you guys remember this when we studied? I'm going to read this to you. You have abandoned the love you first had. Do you remember when we we did this series in Revelation? This this was a letter written to the church in Ephesus. and, And Jesus said, John, write to them and tell them they started off so good. They preached the gospel and they were obedient by loving those around them that were hurting. But then Jesus had John write to them how disappointed he was because they had lost their first love. They had drifted. They became a church who talked a good game, but their actions no longer aligned with their words. You know, this is the hardest sermon to write so far in this series. I was so distracted by this truth all week. Let me tell you what was going through my head this week about grace life as I was studying and writing this sermon. Here's the question. Is grace life displaying true religion, or are we deceiving ourselves? This is the reason James put it in there. We have to ask the question. I mean, listen, our words are pretty good. But seriously, there's no doubt that this church family has in its very short history displayed true religion with our words and our actions in many examples. From day one, generosity has been one of our core values. Look, I'm not going to go into a long list of everything we've done. The record is there and God God has done some incredible thing and by God's grace, we have been tripping over these great works that he prepared beforehand in our community, right? But what if... Hypothetically, I hope it's hypothetical. What if right now, today, as we sit here, is the peak of our faithful obedience to Jesus? What if today is as good as we get, and now we start to slip? You know, it's possible. We're growing, we're in this new building, got a lot of good stuff going on. What if we lose our first love? Could grace life become deceived by all our talk about religion and become a disobedient church? What if our words and our, and our worship become more polished, but we become less generous, less obedient over time? What we become more important than whoever the widows and orphans of our day are? That's my biggest fear as your pastor that we as a church start to drift. That we become deceived by our words and our actions and our religion. How tragic would it be if grace life lost its love for those like the widows and the orphans who can't fend for themselves? How tragic would it be if our words began to deceive us that we don't remain unsoiled from the world around us? Look at Isaiah chapter one, verse 17. This is another example in the scripture in the Old Testament. Learn to do good. That's a continual process. You see that? Seek justice. Correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Focus on that learn to do good A good part for a moment. What about you personally? What does this test of the ropes of faith reveal about your spirituality and your religion this morning? Has your tongue deceived you? Are your words way ahead of your obedience or your actions? Is your is your spirituality, in fact, fake? Do you just sound spiritual? Or do you have true religion that comes alongside those like widows and orphans? Does your faith inspire others to obedience to what Jesus commands? Like this one here to care for the marginalized? Does your faith drive you to actions that are as deep and as compassionate as your words are spiritual and eloquent? Do you give of your time? or your talent, or your treasure as your church seeks to be obedient to these commands? Does your religion have the kind of obedience that cares for the exploited, the cast out, those left isolated and alone? So I have a great example of how we can encourage each other to make sure that we aren't deceived, that our religion is real. About a month ago, a very faithful couple who's part of our church approached me And they felt that God had been calling them to lead a new effort in our true religion. God had given them specifically, organically, a passion to help Grace Life build a very creative relationship through ways to support foster children in our community. Specifically. Together, we began praying and and brainstorming and thinking about ideas of the way Grace Life could creatively display our true religion with foster children. We're in the process of that, and, and once we have a proposal to bring to the shepherd team, we're going to bring it and we'll talk about it. We're not there yet, but, but we are working on something. You know what this is? This is an example. This example right here is the best guard against fake spirituality. When we encourage and spur one another on to creative, obedient, good works just like this. After all, that's what Jesus did for you when you, in fact, were a spiritual orphan. Left for dead by the father of lies. Okay, this is the final message in this intro chapter. We've discovered multiple quick tests of your ropes of faith over the last nine weeks. And after baptisms next week, we're going to go even deeper into these tests because we must, as a church, know that our ropes of faith are secure. Don't you want to know? See, this is why we're going through James the way we are so slowly and methodically and tediously and frankly, sometimes probably painfully. So we can analyze our faith and ask ourselves the hard questions and get real answers. Isn't that what we want? Don't you want to know? Don't you want to learn how to spot the evidence that the ropes of faith that you have will hold? We're going to continue our journey in two weeks with James chapter 2. Heavenly Father, we just come to you this morning and Lord, we confess there are times we do have our unbridled tongue taking control of our spirituality. Guard us from that. Lord, I'm kind of intimidated by the warning that says those who are teachers receive greater accountability. Lord, this is a Important test that we must analyze personally and as a congregation constantly. Lord, we don't want to be caught in this process of self-deception that starts with words and goes to actions and then gives us a fake religion. Lord, give us the wisdom to know what it means to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And Lord, we pray that by your spirit, you would continue to give us creative ideas of how we can be obedient in our community. Lord, we pray that you would continue to give us organically people in our congregation who come up with thoughts and passions. Lord, now, Lord, we, we are going to have to have some wisdom to know what to do and when to do it and how to do it and how to pay for it. Or, Lord, we're going to need that wisdom, so we're trusting you for that as well. But, Lord, we pray that the problem would be, hey, we can't do this, it's too much, and not the other way, we're not doing anything. Lord, we're so grateful that when we were orphans, left dead by the father of lies, you used your church with its good works to proclaim the gospel to us so that we might receive with humility the implanted word of God, which has saved our souls. Lord, for those that are here this morning, who are a little concerned whether or not their religion is fake. Lord, send them the comfort they need. Help them trip over good works that you've prepared beforehand that they can just walk right into. Help us to do it together, not just as individuals, but together as a congregation. Expand what we're doing. Start new paths of obedience. We don't want to be the victims of fake religion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.